are in the second week of Dice or Deity, where we are going through the book of Esther. Last week, uh, Pastor Eric did a great job just setting up the series and touched on who the main characters are in the story, and I want to revisit that a little bit before we continue on, just to uh, make sure that we all know uh, just who is in this story, and so we can relate with this story um, all the more. Well, obviously, there's a, a girl named Esther in, in this story, and as Eric pointed out, her Hebrew name, her real name is Hadasha, uh, meaning myrtle tree. And like Daniel, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, when, when they were taken in captivity by the Babylonians, they changed Esther's uh, name, or really uh, Hadassah, to, to Esther, as, as we know. And kind of as we go through this story, uh, that we will learn different lessons from, from Esther, things like keeping one's word and uh, clinging and holding on to your spiritual, spiritual heritage. Also, Serving God at the best at the best of your ability in the circumstances that you are faced with. Then there's a Queen Vashti who will meet today and then won't meet again. But she she is in this story, and even though she has a short part in this story, she has an important story. Now Vashti means beautiful woman, and according to Jewish tradition. Uh, she may have been a beautiful woman, but she was a wretched person. And uh, there's accounts of Queen Vashti who uh, she was really terrible to her Jewish maidens that, uh, that, that she would torture them and treat them extremely uh, poorly. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll meet a guy named Haman, who's really kind of the antagonist in this story. He is the, the villain, and his name means well-disposed, and he really thought of himself as well-disposed uh, and thought very highly of himself, even though we'll see he was morally and spiritually bankrupt. And he's really the first kind of... Uh, pure anti-Semite in history, that this guy uh, just went all out to, to destroy and, and, and carry out genocide of the Jews. And then we have uh, Esther's godfather, who is, is Mordecai, and, and his name actually is, uh, means bitter bruising. Now, I don't know what mother calls their child bitter bruising, but that's something that will kind of go with you for life. You know, hey, what's your name? Bitter bruising. Mom didn't like you very much, did she? You know, kind of thing. But, but really, Mordecai, bitter bruising, that, that, that his life really and his character was, was quite the opposite. He's a, he's a man that, that really had firm convictions uh, about his, his faith. And then there's Xerxes. Now, I want to spend a little time about talking about Xerxes and the character of Xerxes. Because uh, in, in Christian tradition, people have been rather hard on Esther, thinking she is a coward. 
hard on her as far as uh, sleeping with the king as one of his concubines. Hard on her about some of the different uh, uh, decisions she made or decisions she didn't make. But I want to I paint a picture here uh, of, of Xerxes. Xerxes was, was really a tyrant. He, he was, he was a, a, a man who made rash decisions, and not only rash decisions, but he made irrational decisions. This is a man who conquered and, and controlled an empire from India all the way over to Ethiopia, which is a huge uh, just kind of span of time and, and, and space. And one example of, of Xerxes' rage, one example of Xerxes' kind of irrational behavior was about three years into the story of Esther, and the story of Esther is about ten years. In about three years of, of Esther, uh, he is going to uh, invade Greece uh, once again for the second time. Now, he didn't want to go back, if you could. Uh, he didn't want to march all the way around, uh, his army all the way around the peninsula, around the strait, uh, um, excuse me, forgot the name just really quick, Hellespont, around the strait of Hellespont because that was going to take two years. So what he decided to do was he was going to employ his, his uh, engineers to actually take the Persian navy and uh, build a pontoon bridge across so he could march his army right across, right into Greece. Now that span of water is about uh, 1,400 meters, about five football fields just short of a mile. So we're talking about a pretty expansive uh, kind of bit of water. So about 300 ships to uh, uh, anchored next to each other, and they were going to build this boat, and then he was going to move his army there. So the engineers are doing that, and they're getting it all done. And finally, you know, it's done. He calls, uh, they call Xerxes and say, bring the army. Well, while the army was going uh, to, to this pontoon bridge, a big old storm comes in and destroys the bridge. So what does Xerxes do? Well, he does what every great manager or, or boss, you know, does. He beheads all of the engineers, okay? That's the first thing he does, but that's not all he does. This is where the irrational part comes in. He is so furious. Well, yeah, beheading people is irrational too, but wait. It gets better. You're going to like, by the time I get done with this, you're like, oh, the beheading, you know. He, he goes on and he actually instructs his soldiers to handcuff the water. So they go, yes, so they get these, these fetters, these, these manacles, and they, they put them in the water. But is that enough to punish the water for having a storm? No. Then he instructs the soldiers to whip the water 300 times times. And then he instructs his other soldiers to get hot brands. This is history, folks. This is not, I'm not making this up. 
You can look at this up and read it in, you know, your, your history books. Takes, and they, he has them brand the water. And they do all of this while he instructs his soldiers to be screaming at the water for its disobedience of building its uh, building his uh, pontoon. So this is Xerxes. So if you are tempted to second guess Esther in this, I want you to kind of understand what she's faced against. She uh, up against that she is facing a man who is, you know, irrational and rash. If he doesn't get his way, he throws a tantrum and beheads you. And not only, you know, he's like a bad, you know, a bad, uh, you know, mob boss. Not only am I going to behead you and your family, but I am going to whip your swimming pool and, you know, I am going to handcuff it and I'm going to call it names. All right, so we're not talking about just kind of, you know, this is a serious kind of crumbled cookie, right? So it's important to understand this. And like Eric mentioned last week, this is a very unusual book in the Bible. And Esther is, is, is not just a character, she's a real living person, a, a, a woman trying to make her way through the world in very adverse circumstances. And, you know, this book is very interesting. It's very, as Pastor Eric mentioned, it's, it's a very secular book. There, there's no mention of God or prayer in it. There's no miracles. There's no angels There's no writing on the wall from the hand of God. There is no booming voice coming from heaven. All we have is a girl trying to live out her faith. Furthermore, what makes this book very interesting, Esther is one of the only major Old Testament uh, people who is not ever mentioned in the New Testament. And in essence, Esther is seemingly a very secular book. And, and honestly, many Christians have, have really, uh, throughout the years, uh, throughout the, you know, the centuries, have dismissed Esther. That, that God has preserved this work under scribes trying to add God did this or God did that, and God has protected His Word from the well meanings of of different scribes. They have rejected it because of its lack of religiosity. But I contend that Esther is one of the most important books that we have in our biblical canon, in in our Bible. I believe that it is one of these books that can really equip and encourage and edify us to be more, be better disciples, better followers of Christ. And why do I say that? Is because I believe Esther's story is our story. I believe that, that Esther is one of those people in the Bible that every single one of us can relate to. Because really, how many of us have had, had a booming voice tell us, you know, 
do this? Or how many of us have climbed a mountain and God has given us, you know, a tablet of like what He wants us to do? How many of us have personally had the angel of the Lord appear and say, I know this sounds crazy, but I want you to walk around this city a bunch of times and blow your horn? No, for most of us, our story is like Esther. Is this God's will? I don't know. Is, this, is God working here? I don't know. We're all like Esther, trying to guide through life as best as we can. And I think that she is presented with a question that we're always in question, and if things happen in life, is this the providence of God or is this just merely fate? Is this merely just a roll of the dice? And in this 10-week series... The staff and I have read through uh, the book of Esther many times, and we have pulled out eight dice or deity moments. And we're going to be able to look at one of those today, but in your, on your fridge fold, uh, I listed the week and, and the chapter that, that we're going to pull out. I would encourage you to, to read through Esther this week and try to find your dice or deity moments. Now, a dice or deity moment is when something happens that, that can can change the course of life where you have to ask yourself, you know, did God, did God intervene here? Is God intervening here or is this just happenstance? Is this just coincidence? And we've all had these things happen in our life. I was just standing outside with uh, Carl Green and, and Michael Hanna and they were telling me, they just came back from Haiti last night, and they were telling me about this Dicer Deity moment, which I call Dord moments, D-O-R-D, Dord, Dicer Deity moments. And for the rest of the time, I'm going to refer to them as Dord moments. So next week, new people are going to come, and they're going to be like, what's this Dord thing he's talking about? Oh, Steve-O uh, and two just got back from Haiti, and, and they were telling me about a story that, that, that they were... Uh, uh, involved with, and they're still unpacking. But uh, basically, what what happened was that the teams were were doing different things, and and Stevo and Carl were doing some construction stuff, and and they had converted an old warehouse into a hospital, and there was some plumbing problems. So they thought that you know that they were going over to this hospital to fix the plumbing, right? So they're going over there, and they get there, and guess what? Some do-gooder is fixing the plumbing before they get there, right? So they're sitting there, and they're like, great. Came all the way from Tallahassee to Haiti to fix the plumbing, and somebody's, you know, already fixing it. So they're... They're, uh, you know, probably just kind of sitting there, you know, and I'm, I'm filling in some of the details, which are not true. So it's kind of like historical fiction, but this is how I envisioned it. So they're, they're standing, you know, going like, what do you do? I don't know. What do you do? You know, you know what I mean? And, and in that, they see this woman who's kind of set off to the side, and there's this terrible smell coming from her. And they've moved her because she just reeks. And so they decide to go over there and talk to this woman. 
And what they find is that her foot is literally rotting off and she has gangrene. And she's been just kind of, she's going septic and she's dying essentially from, from it. So they, they tell somebody and, you know, they're not, they're not doctors, they're plumbers, I guess, on this mission trip. They're not really plumbers, but um, so they feel that, like that's what God, you know, has called them to do. And, that, and that's the logical thing, right? You tell somebody, I don't know what to do about gangrene, and, and you move on. So they go, and they're going to go do their next project. You know what their next project is? They are meant to go and, and, and build this shade for this, this woman um, over her deck. And so they go, and they buy all the wood and, and everything, and they, and they get there. And, and the guy who is kind of helping them just coordinate all this is meant to be there. And when they get there, they're doing all, you know, getting ready he gets a call from his wife, who's a nurse. She has just been stuck by a needle from an HIV-infected person. And he's like, I got to go and take care of my wife. So they jump in the tuk-tuk, tuk-tuk, what is it called? Tap-tap. That was close. Into the tap-tap. And they go with them. Why? I have no idea. Maybe they know why. If you're interested, you can find out. It's not important to the story. What is important to the story is that they went. Where did they go? They went to the hospital. So they get to the hospital, and who do they see? The smelly woman. The woman with the, with the rotting foot. And they found out that they had done nothing because they were short the $84 to have the surgery in order to save her life. And then what did they do? They passed the hat around. They figured out a way to raise the, the, the $100 or whatever it was, the amount of money, I don't know what the exact amount of money, to have the surgery and taken care of. And she's alive today. You can apply. That's a worth it. And I, this is the story that we live. I'm going to do some plumbing. God's like, if that's if you want to think that, you go ahead and think that. You want to be a plumber? I want you to be a hero. But you're a, you want to think you're a plumber? That if that's what's going to get you to the place that I need you to be, then you're a plumber. You get there. Dang it. Somebody beat us to the plumbing. Oh, well, let's be carpenters. Okay, let's be carpenters. Let's go and do this. God's sitting there. You know, you guys had a divine appointment. I put you here. Now you want to be carpenters, you go over here. Are you, are you kidding me? Somebody's stuck with a needle and, and, and you know, we're going to build this, this, this shade. I have shade. I don't know what, 
what kind of shade they were going to do. I'm sure it was going to be beautiful. I'm sure they had thought about it and they'd done it. You know, if you ever built something, you know, you want it, want it right. And they're probably excited. They're going to bless this woman. You know, the plumbing thing didn't work out, but they're going to bless this woman with a shade. And God's sitting there saying, it's not why you're there. You were there because I needed you two men to be an advocate for this woman, this forgotten woman. Because everybody else may have forgotten about them. But I have not forgotten about her. Because she is precious in my sight. And today, you are going to be the tangible hand of God. Those are the dice or deity moments that I'm talking about. And I felt that that was really important to talk about. And we're going to have to haul bahuki through the rest of, uh, rest of uh, the talk. I know, like, you know, but I just, I wanted you guys to hear that story because that's what we're talking about. That's the elevation that I'm talking about. We get into things, and those of us who are followers of Christ, we're never just doing this. We're never just going there. We are on a mission. We are carrying out the gospel. Whether we're plumbing or carpeting or carpentering or whatever it's called, it doesn't matter because you are an ambassador of Christ. So quickly, open up your Bibles to Esther chapter 1 page 299 in your E3 Bibles if uh, you're clinging on to Gutenberg and his ideas, right? But if you want to go with the, the Google approach, you can do the tab, whatever. But it's Esther chapter 1. In these events, these events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days, a tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, porphyry marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Drinks were served in golden goblets of many designs. There are many designs because they were you know, uh, pillaged from conquering nations, right? Reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, 
No limits were placed on the drinking. For the king had instructed all his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. At the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. Now, basically what's going on here, this is the, the way that ancient kings built up their alliances and support to invade a, a, a neighboring nation. So basically, this 187 days of festivities with all the princes and officials and everything was to raise support for, for the invasion, the second invasion of Greece. So that's what's happening here. Continued on in verse 10, on the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine... He told the seven eunuchs who attended him, and you can read those names at home, (laughs) to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. Now, I just, I need to paint a picture for you guys so you, you get what's going on here. What he has done is sent these seven eunuchs and they've, they've instructed Queen Vashti to appear at the party with nothing on except the crown on her head. Okay, that's, we miss this in the English translation, but that is what is going on here. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come women, right? This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. Immediately, he consulted with his wise advisors, who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked their advice. Their names were, they met with the king regularly, and I've suffered for 10 years with these names. I'm not doing it today. They met with the king regularly and held the highest positions of the empire. I want to just pause the story here really quick because I think an important thing is happening, a a life-applicable thing is is happening. And I wanted to point out that, that what he's doing is seemingly wise. You know, Scripture says that wisdom is found in many counselors. But I think another question is, are your counselors crickets or dopes? Now, let me tell you the difference. A cricket, bring my cricket back. A cricket is someone who can give you clear and wise advice with perspective and objectivity, okay? Where a dope, a dope gives you advice based on their past failures, and it's rooted in their personal fear. A dope, for example, is that single dude living on the outskirts of town with six of their other single friends trying to give you relational advice. You know you have a dope. 
Everyone needs a cricket in their life. Some of you here have, have, have uh, sat down with me, and when I sit down with somebody who's uh, having trouble making life decisions, I always ask them, who is your cricket? Because it is impossible for you to see clearly all the time in your own life experience. And we all need a cricket in our life. Who is that person that you can trust more than your own instincts? Who is that person that you're trying to discern which way to go, and they, you know that they'll give you objective insight that is not based on their own past failures or fears. And I usually find if somebody is having a difficult time making life decisions, that they either have, they do not have a cricket in their life or they have a dope who they think is their cricket. And a cricket is somebody who has a proven life record. Somebody who has been following Christ, someone who you can, who's farther down the road than you, that somebody who, who can transcend their own stuff and be able to speak truth into your life. So this is what Xerxes is attempting to do. Unfortunately, it, he has, and you'll see, uh, dopes in his life and not a cricket. He asked the question, what must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded? What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's order properly sent through his eunuchs? Mamukin answered the king and his nobles, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but every noble citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. But this day, before this day is out, the wives of all the kingdoms, king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. That's not a cricket speaking or chirping. That is a dope. A dope will, will speak fear into your life. God says, I have not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of strength. And when things are going wrong, when the, when, when the ceilings are, are, are caving in all around you, you don't need dopes in your life. You need men and women of faith, men and women who can speak the words of truth into your heart, who you can know and trust. Verse 19, so if it pleases the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be banished forever from the presence of King Xerxes and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect 
from their wives. This is a guy who clearly understands women, right? The king and his nobles thought this made good sense. They've been drinking for 187 days. <laughs> the king and his nobles thought this made good sense, so they followed Mamukin's counsel. He sent letters to all parts of the empire, to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. How'd that work out for you, right? You know, it's like I could just see it playing out. Woman, blah 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 blah. Yes, dear. Here, drink some warm milk and go to sleep. It'll be okay. You know. All right. So we have our our first doored moment, right? And I know we're a little over. I'm I'm moving. So we're gonna just get through this. Uh, that doored moment. That that basically Xerxes dumps Vashti because of really fearful advice from his advisors and, and really a rash decision because his boyish pride was hurt. And the question that you need to answer, not me, I have to answer this for myself, but each and every one of us throughout this series, we have to answer for ourselves, was this a dice or deity moment? And how we answer the question, how you answer the question, will really determine how you follow Christ, how you approach the world. Because these, answering these questions is not a hard science, but, but it is an art. It's through relationships. To help us out a little bit, Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 21, he wrote, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. So, is God guiding Xerxes, Xerxes here as a stream? You have to answer that for yourself. I can't answer that question for you. But it, this, it does remind me of one thing. It reminds me of Romans chapter 8, 28. This is for us who are followers of Christ. We're given a promise. Paul writes this. We all know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And this is really at the heart of our whole Esther series is this question, do we really believe God is causing everything to work together for good for those who love Him? Do you believe that? A lot of times, this verse is, uh, I'm trying to think of a nice word to, to, to use here, but basically, it's misinterpreted and used in, a, in, a, in, an, uh, in an unholy or a, not a biblical way. People like to drop the the before the good. Hopefully that made sense. People like to, to say, quote in their heads, God causes everything to work together for good. Right? Have you heard that? That's not what, that's not what God says. That's what we say. That's what we want. You know, we want, 
oh, and what we're doing is we're person internalizing that and saying, well, if God is real, everything that happens is going to be good. And that's, you know, or for my good. There's even a song, it's like, all things work together for my good. It's for God's good. It's for the kingdom's good. It is, um, it is for, for the good of, of our, our refining or maybe for the good of those around us. One of the most uh, brilliant theologians in, in the 20th century said, said this, you don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. And that's really it, right? That, that this, is, this is the study, and, and, and this is the question that we're going to be asking each and every week. Do we really believe that, that God is causing these things to work together for good? Do we, do we believe that, that God is, is moving rulers like a stream? Do we believe that when things go bad in our life, that, that God is allowing that to sift through His permissive will for some sort of greater good? Do we believe when, when we go to do something good for somebody and it doesn't work out that God has something bigger in plan for us? Do we believe when we are, uh, get laid off from our job or we get a raise at our work? That God is using this in a larger way. And I don't want you just to answer yes, because that seems like the right answer. Please don't do that. This is what I want you to do. I want you to struggle with this, and I want you to answer this question with your heart. And just between you and God, because we can start at an honest place. And I believe if we can start at that honest place that, that God can mold us and grow us greatly over this next 10 years.